So 80% of your diet should be like this. It took the human body a billion years to get its act together, and until World War II, there were parallel threads in the diets of people the world over. The food was basic, directly related to the land or sea, prepared at home, fresh, whole, and unprocessed. It's pretty much all you need to know. Pretty much all you need to know. Let me go through this a little bit. Cellular inflammation we talked about. Virtually all chronic degenerative diseases begin in childhood. The famous Bogalusa heart study in the 80s showed that babies have the beginning of hardening of the arteries. Anyway, the mechanism is cellular inflammation resulting from the excess stress hormones, cortisol and epinephrine. These stress hormones are the result of unresolved childhood pain and ongoing stress in adulthood. So here's what you need to know about sugar and carbs. Those write this down. This will save lives. Those with a fasting glucose above 85, you can make it 85 to 90 if you want, have an increased risk for heart attack, dementia, all the known diseases. You can go out and get a glucometer at your local drugstore. They're pretty cheap. Where they get you is the strips. The strips are 70 bucks for a little tiny packet, but for those of you who don't have blood sugar problems, you can find out where you are on the continuum. Doctors are now telling people, oh yeah, 100, 105 is okay for a fasting blood sugar. It isn't, it isn't. And if you can catch it early up front and do something about it by cutting out the sugars in your diet, you'll literally be saving your life, your life and that of your clientele. And it's easy to use the little glucometer and they got those little mechanical things now that prick your finger and it barely hurts at all. I was so excited with mine. I took it to brunch and, you know, got everyone at the table. I thought, let's just try this out, you know. I'm enthusiastic. It's like, let's put this in the hands of the people. So it should be, you know, 85 maximum, 90. Our indices, a lot of time in medicine, our indices are... Um, Normal doesn't mean optimal. I guess that's what I want you to know. What is the norm is not necessarily optimal. Same goes for vitamin D, by the way. Your vitamin D should be 40 to 80 na uh, nanograms per um, ml, and you can get that done without a doctor through grassrootshealth.org. Grassrootshealth.org has lectures by the top vitamin D researchers in the world. They're all free. Why? Because one woman was so frustrated by how long it takes the research to get into the mainstream. People with an optimal vitamin D level in that range have a 50% reduced risk of breast cancer. 50% reduced risk. That should be on the uh, headlines of the New York Times. It's not. It's the same with a lot of this stuff, okay? So I want you to know that that's a very practical thing that you can do. All carbohydrates are broken down into sugars, all. And it's, there's a big continuum. The guy you saw, Ted, with the macrobiotic thing, I found, so I started to be macrobiotic. About age, you know, 29, I was macrobiotic during my pregnancy. And Kate said to me, you know, age five, I think that I finally broke down we had organic Cornish game hen for Thanksgiving. She dives into it like a starving person. And she says, I love this codfish. 
And she really, she really did. And then another time she looked at me and she said, you know, when I grow up, I'm, I'm not going to be a vegetarian. Her body knew that she did better on some animal protein. So don't do your work like some fundamentalist religion because there isn't a one right answer. <laughs> yeah. We also know that fat isn't the problem. Fat is not the oh, it is if it's trans fats. And it's nice to have grass-fed beef or buffalo. But that's not the problem. And I, I hope you've heard uh, David Perlmutter and read his book, Grain Brain. Uh, he's a superb neurologist. And we know that, in many ways, Dr. Atkins was correct. It is not fat that makes you fat. It is sugar with the chronic inflammation. So. Yeah, read green brain. So the dangers of high glucose, we're not going to go into them, but remember, the, oh, the postprandial should be um, below 140. So that's after you eat, should be a low, below 140. So you get out your little glucometer, you know, you go to Rite Aid, whatever, you get it. And then you learn how to prick your finger, and you want your fasting to be 85 to 90. And then after you eat, it should be no more than 140. Probably 120 is better, all right? You will prevent just about everything. Then you'll also notice when you're stressed, you can wake up with a fasting blood sugar of 105, even if you ate nothing the day before, because excess cortisol and epinephrine will raise your blood sugar. Have you had any friends on steroids, cortisone, prednisone? Notice what happens to them. They blow up like a balloon. We know that depression is an independent risk factor for both osteoporosis and heart disease. Why? Because depression creates these small amounts of stress hormones all the time. It's like having your body on cortisone all the time. So, you know, arterial blockage, damage to the eye, oxidative stress, increased inflammation, endothelial dysfunction, all preventable because all of that is glycemic stress. All of it increases. So this is the symptoms and signs of insulin abuse, fatigue, possibly shaky weakness, carbohydrate cravings, uncontrollable hunger, emotional eating, nighttime eating, slowly expanding waistline. You can tell if someone is going to get into this in their 20s, in their 20s, long before they start to get the tire around the center. Increased resistance to weight loss. This is symptoms, signs of early insulin resistance. Nighttime eating, central weight gain, slow weight gain without a change in diet. That's all the women who come to me, you know, at the age of 40 and say, I weigh the same, but what's this? What, what is this? Yeah, well, it's glycemic stress. Over the past 20 years, and it just reached critical mass. See, we blame all that stuff on menopause. It's not menopause. The body says at menopause, hello, we gave you about 40 years to figure this one out, and you didn't. So now we're going to up the gain. We're going to just, you know, let you know that, no, you're not going to be able to crash diet into that little black dress anymore. We've done that. We haven't we? Haven't we done that? How many times have we done that? We're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Um, low HDL cholesterol. HDL cholesterol is an amazing marker of glycemic stress. My HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, even though you now know that there's good cholesterol, bad cholesterol and bad good cholesterol, 
HDL has big particles and small particles, and LDL has big particles and small particles, and they're making it way too simple, and most of you do not need Lipitor, which will make you demented, give you muscle cramps and blackouts, and you don't need it. <laughs> Had to tell you that. Um, heartburn, uh, my HDL was 35. It's now 70. How does that work? How is it that every one of my indices is better now? than when I was 35. It's because I got it about the sugar. I got it about the sugar. And damn, it's a sad day if you like sugar in all its many forms. You know, even, I mean, for some of us, you know, sweet potatoes can be a problem. You, you, but I'm going to get into the cure, okay? Stay with me. Okay, we got 18 minutes left because I'm going to leave you with a solution that it has taken me decades to come to. And you're getting it when you're all so dewy-eyed and fresh and young. It's fabulous. All right. What else? Menstrual irregularities, da-da-da, carbohydrate addiction. You know all this. Insulin resistance. This happens way before you become diabetic. Don't wait, guys. Don't wait. Check your cholesterol. I mean, not your cholesterol, your vitamin D. Get all that. Check your blood sugar. Don't wait, because I can tell you, all the hospitals around here and everywhere else, you know what they're set up for? This is a metaphor I learned way back in the American Holistic Medical Association. Okay. These are high-rise hospitals like um, rescuing drowning people from the rapids. They got power boats, you know. Got good TV shows about that, you know, you third watch and all that. We go out and we get the people and we rescue them and we take them back to these high-rise resuscitation centers. And nobody goes upstream to the bridge, way up at the headwaters of the Hudson, and says, why is everyone jumping in? We're just rescuing way down here. I'm telling you how not to jump in. So you don't even have to go there. Sometimes I wonder, you know, should I have a doctor? Jeez, should I have a doctor? Should I write something that but they don't have anything to give me? Unless I break my leg or something. I had a little fun time, you know, I thought I broke my foot on my boat, banging it against a cleat, so I got to go into the quick care in my town. They were adorable. I thought, good, anything ever happens, I'm coming here, I like them. Routine care? Why would I do that? It's like, well, baby checks. The kid's well, well you can tell. Okay. Um, anyhow, okay. Most forms of polycystic ovary disease, kids, most menstrual stuff is just insulin resistance. It's all it is. Excess hair growth is insulin resistance. Heavy menstrual cycles. Breast cysts, and I'll, okay, I gotta give you this. The breasts themselves, these babies require three milligrams of iodine a day to stay healthy. The total body needs about 12.5 milligrams a day of iodine. You can get the Edgar Cayce Atomidine. You can get uh, Modafillin, organic Russian seaweed that they brought in after Chernobyl. You can get Logol solution on uh, Amazon, and you can paint, I'm going to give you the way, you paint on Logols on your body. It should be there 24 to 48 hours later. You should be able to see it. If you can't, you need more iodine. Um, there's a whole, Sherry Tenpenny has done some nice stuff with iodine. Google Sherry Tenpenny YouTube and see her stuff on iodine. The breasts need iodine. You can take away about 99.9% .9 of fibrocystic breast disease and sore breasts, which is really common, and you're going to see it in your practice, 
just with recommending some iodine-rich foods. Kelp is good, organic eggs are good, or you know, you can bring in the good guns. You know, iodorol is at 12.5 milligram per um, pill, okay? So you should know about that for breasts. Ovaries have a pump on them that actively sucks up iodine, and we live in a culture that has chlorine and fluoride in the water, fluoride in the toothpaste, and bromide in all kinds of baking goods. Those are halogens. They directly interfere with the ability of iodine to be on your cells. So what happens when people take a little iodine? They outgas all of the toxic halogens and get a rash, and then they say, I'm allergic to iodine. No, you're detoxing all the crap because of iodine. Now, that was worth this whole lecture for you, seriously. All right. Now, what else we got here? Yeah, and you know when women start to lose their hair, it's that insulin resistance, that kind of thing at midlife. Depression, excess facial hair, dementia. So, when you eat sugar, the insulin, which is a storage hormone, goes up. High insulin levels in the face of epinephrine and cortisol completely screw up sex steroids. This is why men have a drop in testosterone at midlife and why women have all kinds of hormonal hell at midlife and the hot flashes. It's not so much the major changes of menopause. It is all of those in the face of too much sugar, too much insulin, or just too much stress hormone and too much insulin, and the effect on the metabolism of sex steroids. Hyperinsulinism through the lifestyle. It begins with feeding kids all this sugar all of the juice and all of the stuff that they love and they'll wrestle you to the floor for bubble gum and I know how that is, so I like bubble gum. Um, then childhood, adolescence, look at the foods, all this stuff. And when you go to any airport, what is the food? It's just all from big pharma. And what we want people to know is a lot of this isn't your fault, it's the only food that's out there. It's until you get really very careful like all of you are so that the revolution begins with you. And then the signs and symptoms of glycemic stress throughout the life cycle. You take in the food, the sugar, to boost the feel-good hormones. It just makes sense. How many of you used to watch the Golden Girls? And whenever the Golden Girls would get upset, they would all meet out in the kitchen and have cheesecake. Yeah, it's just this, trying to feel better. But really, we can do better. And I want to show you how to do that. That's addiction. And uh, Oh, and by the way, is that we're all um, keyed into the cycles. And the, so let me give you a good one here. The PMS of the annual year is the fall when people get seasonal affective disorder. So just before your period starts, and this is not going to be an entire lecture because we don't have time, I would like to, but we can't, on the menstrual cycle, which is the cycle that brought you all to planet Earth. It is the cycle that's associated with the moon and with our creativity. And the further out of your own creativity and inner uh, dialogue you are, the further away from that you are, the louder your body has to speak. And that's PMS. So it's really premenstrual truth. It's premenstrual strength as one of the top research in it, it says women with PMS do not speak with forked tongues, they speak with sharp tongues. They're telling the truth of what's really going on in their lives. And so what happens is there's some times, nature is this big, wonderful cycle. So there are times when you're more apt to tell the truth. One is premenstrually. If you can't tell the truth, it comes out as 
I'm going to throw a dish at you, okay? Then, um, in, the, in the annual year, that's the fall, when people get seasonal affective disorder from not enough light. And by the way, the serotonin produced from natural light changes all of that in many, many cases. Just a full-spectrum light bulb out the corner of your eye during the fall will help a lot with the chocolate cravings. And then, in the day, in the daytime, 4 o'clock in the afternoon is the PMS of the day. When many of us, if we don't get the blood sugar thing and sweet life figured out, we stand at the refrigerator and begin our evening meal, which does not end till midnight. Yeah, I, I had that going on in my 30s, my God. Okay, so here's the solution. Living a sweet life. First, you've got to reframe your mother and your love story. The woman I needed to call my mother was silenced before I was born, Adrian Rich. Your mother, many times, just didn't have a chance. because She didn't know all this stuff, and she's doing the best she certainly could. One in three women on planet Earth will be raped or beaten in her lifetime. The feminine in men is raped and beaten. The war story stops with you. Forgive your mother, she didn't know, neither did your father. This is the childhood pain thing. You have to feel it to heal it. Become the person who, when you walk in a room, everyone is blessed. Tosha Silver. This is my mother. Now notice, this, this is not your average woman. She got an elk with a muzzle loader at the age of 80. Yeah. Uh, this is me and my sister. I had to ski every day. I climbed Mount Washington in ski boots at the age of 10, carrying my skis. And so there we are. That's not who I am. That's never who I, who I was. I've tried my whole life to be that person until I'm no longer trying to be that person. But it makes me laugh. Look at us. Da -da. It's the sound of music. The hills are long. Because we are going hiking, it is redemption through hiking and skiing and sleeping in the rain and carrying heavy shit, you know. Okay, this is, but so, you know, while things went on and on and on, and then I looked at my mother's camper, okay, and I saw that. See, it's a pleasure way camper. Pleasure way, and I got it. God damn. What brings you pleasure and what brings me pleasure are the exact opposite. They're completely the opposite. I spent, you know, we, we really want to please our parents. We went to Kinky Boots. The whole story is about the guy in the Kinky Boots wanting to just please his dad, right? That's our story. But I just want to be good enough to please you and make me proud of you. You know, and I'm like, this isn't really what I want to be doing. But I felt bad about myself, you know, and my lack of sports skills. Um, that's her, age 84. She went to Everest Base Camp. Because what she has shown me is all this stuff about getting older and getting decrepit is just bullshit. Yeah. So, you know, the motto from Abraham Hicks is happy, healthy, dead. Happy, healthy, dead. People said to me, you know, aren't you worried she's going to go out there and get heap, high altitude pulmonary edema? All of us kids go, no, she's always wanted to go and hike in Nepal. And if she gets that and dies with her boots on, what could be better than that? 
Really, what could be better than that? So these are the components of a sweet life. All these things contribute to a sweet life and the hormones necessary for the sweet life. Laughter, sense of humor, sunshine, natural light, nutritious food, clean air and water, a fulfilling sex life, which I've always said is you can do by yourself, uplifting relationships, outdoor exercise, establish, you know, all of this stuff. This is what health is. What we call health care is nothing but disease screening. It's not, you are the health care practitioners of the future now. This is health care. Okay. So here's how you live the sweet life. You find people who understand the profound connection between food and love and community. This is Lefteri. He's uh, Greek. That's a lamb. It's an organic lamb. Every now and again, he will go and pray over the lamb and then butcher it the way his grandfather in the old country taught him and then bring it down and roast it all day over a spit and everyone hangs around with the food is cooking and there's something about you know men gathering around roasting meat that's very primal and so that's part of a sweet life and he understands it is so simple if you lay out a good spread people will come so in your practice start in with potlucks start in with serving food it doesn't matter who you are. Even the most left hemisphere dominant triple PhDs all melt around good food. Takes us right back to the breastfeeding and the mother, right back. Our bodies know this and they say yes and we calm down. This is some fresh oysters that we had. Again, food directly related to the land or sea. Breastfeeding from Mother Earth. Mother Earth gave us oysters right around Christmas Eve from a local river. There's some lobsters uh, from a lobsterman down the street. Again, you use the resources right in your area. Um, and then there's the pleasure of connection. I happen to have found uh, Argentine tango. And it is, do we have some tango dancers here? It's a martial art. It's a martial art. And I have found that learning to surrender to the lead of a skillful leader is like surrendering to your own divine guidance. And I would recommend any man in this room, if you want to become irresistible, learn this dance. It's much more macho than other dances. And I was talking with the chief of holistic urology at Columbia once, and I said, I think that if men learn this, their testosterone levels would raise. I do, I really believe this. They are um, in command, and when they can give a woman the kind of pleasure you can give through this, your serotonin goes up, your beta endorphin goes up. I have never left a tango dance in which I wasn't walking on air when I left, ever. And this is available to all of you. Oh, and the practice sessions where you can get that kind of a thing, five bucks. <laughs> I mean, this is really cheap stuff. This is me at the Gay Pride Parade. And uh, <laughs> there was tremendous joy in that day. 
tremendous joy. I particularly liked the um, flaming flaggets. Those were the guys who were they amazing flag things, doing stuff with, but a lot of joy, a lot of joy. So bring that into your life. This is four-legged prayer. Uh, that's my cat, Mr. Moon. You, now, we know, and you know, that your animals take on stuff for you so that you don't have to do it. How many of you have had an animals get cancer so you didn't have to do it? Oh, yeah. Or thyroid trouble or eye problem or whatever. They serve us in ways I can't even begin to tell you. And have you ever noticed, like, you got menstrual cramps and the cat is, boom, right there. Or you have a headache or whatever you have. They're there to heal you. So that's another thing that you can do. And then bringing in the sacred. It's a little ceremony that we had at Christmas time um, with candles, you know, just lighting a candle and saying your intention in community. Uh, that's Kate uh, with Mike, her fiancé, and they're doing the intentions that we did on Christmas night. So we always bring that in, the sacred, bring in the divine. It's not religion, it's the divine, literally. And then uh, divine love. Divine love, the most powerful, powerful healing force in the universe. It's God's love. And I work with Robert Fritchie of the World Service Institute, and the amount of healing that takes place. I'm gonna just, we're all going to bring our hearts together, okay? Say this after me. With our spirits... And the angels help. We focus divine love throughout our systems. We ask our spirits to identify every cause and every situation that separates us from the Creator. And we ask that our systems be healed with divine love according to the Creator's will. Take a deep breath in. All energy field in. And now just pulse it out your nose like you're clearing your nose. Boom. Expect some changes in your life. You're playing with wonderful divine fire. Thank you all very much. Holistic Nourishment by Christian Northrop, MD, Fakog. It is all start with mother. Food and love, the intimate connection, healthy attachment, immunity, and digestion begin with how we were born, fed, and cared for in infancy. Our early life experience with nurturing creates the basic wiring diagram we follow when we attach ourselves to others. The way our mother's body, mind, and spirit interact with ours in pregnancy and the way we are fed and cared for teachers both our brains and bodies what to expect from nourishment and intimacy, setting the stage for how sweetly and joyfully we will be able to meet both our nutritional and emotional needs for the rest of our lives. Happy Mother, Happy Baby Microbiome Infant feeding entrance, gut flora 
vaginal birth colonize babies with healthy bacteria. Premium study from England. Let the earth pass through you, then you'll be immune to everything. Imagine breastfeeds are also for babies. Happiness is our bright birthright. Laughing with angels. Breastfeeding and front mind, body, God for healthy digestion and attachments. Improves the mother's health. Protect against breast cancer, ovarian cancer, weight gain, and postmenopausal osteoporosis. Promotes a sense of safety and security in the baby. Offers baby protection from disease. Babies breastfed for first 15, 15 weeks of life are 50% less likely to develop respiratory illness. Meets primal need to suck. Sucking is a primal need. Babies suck their tongue in utero. The areas of brain controlling tongue and mouth are huge, with more nerves devoted to these body parts and functions than almost any other. Breastfeeding benefits promotes optimal facial and jaw development. Nursing at the breast is hard work and better exercise for the jaw and cheek muscles. As a result, the jaw hard palate, sinusitis, sinusitis, and back of the throat are developed optimally. Promotes optimal breathing. Babies are oblique nasal breathers. Mouth breathing is abdominal and stress response. Breastfeeding reinforces nasal breathing. Promotes optimal intelligence is neural protective. Impact of birth interventions, epidural anesthesia. Epidural anesthesia increases malpresentation by 400%, increases risk of fever of unknown origin, or septis or equivalent to sepsis workups for a neonate and mother. Estimated cost of unnecessary intervention from epidurals alone is over $3 billion a year. Cause of maternal fatal separation and anxiety postpartum partum incalculable. Woods of childhood, abandonment, betrayal, and shame. If unresolved, all of this produces small amounts of inflammatory chemicals in the body that favors disease and action. A study, adverse childhood experiences. Largest prospective ongoing trial of its kind. 17,000 patients, middle class, middle age, peer reviewed. Over half of all adults have experienced at least one adverse childhood trauma. Time doesn't heal this pain. It produces cellular inflammation and increased risk for premature death from all leading causes. The impact of shame, guilt says. I made a mistake. Shane says, I am a mistake. The number one problem most patients face is the inability to love themselves. Addiction aren't the problem. They are the solution to the problem of unresolved, unresolved pain. As American as corn flakes, a remedy 
for masturbation, which is almost always successful in small boys, is circumcision. The operation should be performed by a surgeon without administering an anesthetic, as the pain attending the operation will have a salutary effect upon the mind. In females, the author has found the application of pure carbolic acid to the clitoris an excellent means of allying the abdominal excitement by Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. At war with our bodies, 42% of first to third grade girls want to be thinner. 81% of 10 years are afraid of getting fat. Only 5% of women have the kind of bodies that are considered ideal in magazines. Contagion Theory of Lifestyle Behaviors Harvard researchers tracked 12,067 people over more than three decades. Risk of becoming obese spread almost like a virus from person to person. In married couples, if one becomes obese, the other has a 37% likelihood of following suit. If a friend becomes obese, a person's chances climb to 57%. Contingent Theory of Lifestyle Behavior Among mutual close friends, if one becomes obese, the other chances increase by 171%. Overweight and obese men and women are more likely to have romantic partners best friends and casual friends who are also overweight the good news overweight men and women with more social contacts trying to lose weight positively influence them to also do the same you're wrong why lost love literally hurts emotional pain registered in the anterior Grinus of the brain at the same time as physical pain. Sugar is an opiate. In the beginning, why whole foods heal? Eating whole organic foods is like breastfeeding from the earth herself. The body is self-renewing. Every cell in our bodies is replaced approximately every seven years. Organic foods grows, grown on healthy soil produce healthy cells when consumed. We pay the doctor to make us better when we really should be paying the farmer to keep us healthy. 80% of the diet should be this. It took the human body a billion years to get its act together. Until World War II, there were parallel trends in the diet of people the world over. The food was basic, directly related to the land or sea, prepared at home, fresh, whole, and unprocessed. Cellular inflammation, the root cause of chronic degenerative disease. Virtually all chronic degenerative disease begin in childhood. The mechanism is cellular inflammation or inflammation resulting from excess stress hormones cortisol and epinephrine these stress hormones are the result of unresolved unresolved childhood pain and ongoing stress 
resulting in adulthood. What you need to know about sugar and carbs, those with a fasting glucose about 85 mg or DL have an increased risk of, for heart attack and other disease. All carbohydrates are broken down into sugars. Fat is not a problem, it's sugar. Low fat eating is obsolete. The only calories and counts, the only calories that counts are sugar calories. Brain Grain by David Pellmutter. Dangers of high glucose. The dangers of high glucose are strongly evident that International Diabetes Foundation has warned that non-diabetics with post prandial glucose above, above 140 mg are significant risk for many diseases including retinal damage to the eye, arterial blockage, oxidative stress, increased inflammation, endothelial dysfunction, reduced coronary blood flow, increased cancer risk. The side effect of excess sugar plus stress hormones, fatigue and possibility, possibly shaky weakness following a meal, carbohydrate cravings and uncontrollably hunger, emotional eating, nighttime eating, slowly expanding waistline, increased resistance to weight loss. Signs of early insulin resistance, nighttime eating, central weight gain, loss or expanding waistline, slow weight gain without change in diet, low HDL cholesterol, increased triglycerides, heartburn, increased fatigue, menstrual irregularities, hypoglycemia, carbohydrate addiction, craving, sugar and high glycemic carbohydrates. This is associated with insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, abdominal cholesterol, most form of polycythesis, heavy menstrual, menstrual period, breast, colon, and other forms of cancer, depression, dementia, male pattern baldness. Components of a sweet life. Vibrant health, laughter and self of humor, sense of humor, sunshine and natural light, nutritious food, clean air and water, fulfilling sex life, uplifting relationships, outdoor exercise, satisfying living and working environment, natural sleep and relaxation, inspiring music, rhythmical dance, light is a nutrient light absorption by the body let the earth heal you all of our healthcare and dietary imbalances are woes are related to the to a disconnect from the earth herself from our bodies from pleasure and from the feminine the solution 
connect with the earth. Love and appreciate your body. Power your life with divine love. Cultivate and discipline of pleasure. Enjoy whole delicious foods in community. Move with delight. And when there's nothing good to eat, pray. So I want to take you back uh, about 30 years ago. And uh, my parents had discovered something called natural hygiene. And uh, I had discovered macrobiotic. And I was eating all cooked foods. And they were going to classes about eating raw foods. And I was like, isn't this interesting? And we were all getting healthier at the same time, but eating opposite ways. Long story short, I ended up uh, connecting with the main teacher of macrobiotics, who was Michio Kushi, and I used to sit in on his consultations and be sort of like his uh, apprentice. And I would take notes and have clients of my own. And, um, and I was younger then. I was in my 20s, and uh, I thought, this, is, this has got to be the most interesting thing happening on the planet. But I'm sitting here in, I'm, I'm usually a casual dresser outside of being on stage. So I'm sitting here, and I would do my consultations like in jeans and it's got to be the most interesting thing that I'm sitting here in jeans and telling people how to get well and it's working and they're coming to see me after seeing the best doctors in the world and not getting answers. And this was especially fascinating because my father, although he's not a doctor, worked with doctors. So a lot of people I knew or I just knew and respected medical profession tremendously. And I'm helping people get well. I think this is nuts. Like, how, how is this even happening? But even a bigger question was, how is this happening and nobody knows it's happening? And it took me years to understand what it was that was happening and that what was, from my opinion, what was working wasn't actually the macrobiotic diet. It wasn't putting people on brown rice. Uh, a lot of it was getting them off of what they were eating. It kind of didn't matter what they were eating instead. What mattered was that they got off the uh, sad standard American diet and started eating something different. And that they became involved in cooking, whatever it was that they were cooking. And that they got involved with caring about themselves and their family and their food. And so that led to really decades of trying to figure out, well, what should people be eating? And going through all this high fat, low fat, high carb, low carb, and, and seeing that most people, pretty much everyone, is uh, really into whatever is the dietary theory that they're teaching, <laughs> right? It's, you know what I'm talking about? And to be able to find a neutral place to be kind of like Switzerland, where in my heart of hearts, I don't really think there is a right way of eating. What I know to be true is that human beings just 
as much as other mammals can figure out what to eat on their own given half a chance. Every minute of every day, millions of dollars are spent to sway people to eat foods that they would never normally dream of eating. They're not actually foods. They look like food. They taste like food. It's not actually food, though. But that process is very successful. And it is really altering the human DNA. The genetic system of human beings is altering as we speak, because you can see from, say, my parents' generation to mine to the younger generation, human beings are altering in how we are. And, and, and basic composition of what it means to be a human evolved over millions of years by carefully selecting foods that were seasonal and that were fitting for human development. But that all can deteriorate and break down human DNA very rapidly when what we're eating isn't food that's really fit for human consumption. It's like putting the wrong uh, fuel in your car. It doesn't take long for your car to break down. It doesn't take long for human DNA to break down. We see that most clearly with all kinds of disease. What's most obvious is obesity. What's less obvious but most intrinsic is the human being's loss of ability to recreate itself. So when I was growing up, people had sex, maybe. There were no fertility clinics. They didn't exist. And then uh, male sperm became weaker. Women have issues as well, but mostly male sperm became weaker. And that's where you can see the most that the species is, doesn't have much of a future if that element isn't uh, understood and uh, healed. So I'm sharing all this with you because I want to get us all into the same place. So one thing to understand is that we're not doctors. I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor, there are doctors here, but that's not the purpose of the curriculum. The purpose of the curriculum is really to understand this evolving profession called health coaching, which I pretty much, I think, started from having watched Michio Kushi and evolving from there into having a one-on-one -on -one client and meeting with them for an hour into a six-month program where the human being heals themselves by themselves through their own speaking and through high mileage questions and through the basic principles of primary food and bioindividuality. It's like magic. It's really like magic. For those of you who've had clients, it's like, what? You know, like I knew this would work, but I never thought it would work so easily. And so when I started doing health coaching, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is nuts. I just I have to find. The hardest part isn't getting people well. The hardest part was finding clients. So I would find clients. And uh, I was you. I would start with charging almost nothing. And then as I gained confidence, I would charge more. And as I gained confidence, I charged more. And then it wasn't really about money for me ever. It was more about finding the clients who I most wanted to work with. And getting to a place where I was working with like famous people 
and people who were my niche market. So I want to emphasize with you this idea that we're not uh, medical professionals. A lot of times I see on online forums, well, what do I do about uh, my client has eczema, or my client has is premenstrual, or my client has thyroid issues. So this is the important part, is that there's really not all these different diseases. There's one, there's just one disease, which is that the body is out of balance. How do I know there's only one disease? Because the human body is like a biocomputer. It is, you know, there's computers for, I don't know, the NASA spaceship or what's that thing called in Switzerland, the photon, do you know what I'm talking about? The accelerator. But the human body's computer is beyond all that. I mean, we can maintain 98.6. If it gets hot in here, I'll start to sweat. If it gets cold in here, my body will warm up. If all the lights went out, my eyes would open up more. Having uh, pregnancy, giving birth, having this little egg become one of us. No computer can do anything like that except our computer. So you want to understand the complexity and the genius design that goes behind it. So when something goes wrong in the body, it's unlikely that that computer has a programming error because it's the best computer ever by far. You with me so far? So what's happening is that the computer circuits are burning up because the owner of the computer, me or you or the client, is stressing the computer out too much by dietary and lifestyle choices. So they're either eating crap for dozens of years at a time, or as more and more happening, they are stressing themselves out, not sleeping and working too many hours and trying to do too many things at once. And then lo and behold, one day, you, know, you start to see the wires have smoke. And a little bit of symptoms come up. And then they don't pay attention and symptoms get worse. And then, you know, there's a fire in the computer room. Are you with me so far? So let me tell you where the fire in the computer room occurs. There's only two places. Do you ever watch CSI? You have to, like, investigate. So there's only two places where the fire could have occurred. One place, and this is why it's on the health history, is where there is the genetic weakness from the parent. So, say in my case, my, both my parents both have thyroid issues. They're healthy, they have thyroid issues. I have thyroid issues. You understand? Think about yourself. Think about your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters, and what's happening there. And ask your clients always, tell me about your health of your mother, your father, and your siblings, because that's a big hint of where the fire is going to break out in their system. The second place where the fire could occur is when they are being abusive through diet and lifestyle to a particular organ in their body. So if it's a smoker, it's their lungs. If they are 
say too much dairy, and dairy isn't a, it's not the right kind of dairy, or it's not the food that they can consume properly, it's going to create symptoms in different places of their body. They're having too much sugar. Each of those things will create symptoms in a particular area of the body. So when you want to heal that person, you want to go in and try to heal them through very simple modality. Like in my first session, I would say to people, instead of trying to be at the beginning, when I would watch Michio Kushi, he would give people a hundred different things to do in the first session. And then it was my job. After the session, they were like, what do I do now? He just told me to stop having milk, meat, sugar, chemicalized, artificial, and never have any more ever again. And I have a family and a job. And so I learned that we had to go into it slowly. And the first thing I ask people, and I recommend you ask people, is what do you know you should be doing that you're not already doing? <laughs> Make my job so easy. And they'll name three things. Boom, the session is over. Done. They come back. Did you do them? Well, I only did these two. Okay, well, what else do you know you should be doing? This is, this is way, listen, this is way easier than you would ever imagine. The hard part is finding clients. That's why we teach marketing and sales and how to get clients. But the easy part is once you have your client, it's not as hard as you think. After you've gone through what do you know you should be doing, and you give them the encouragement to do that, you start to drill down in primary food circle, circle of life. What's happening? Where are you stressed? What's going well? And you don't have to be a marriage counselor or a personal exercise trainer or a career guidance or a priest to help them with those elements because you have this tool in your back pocket called, what? High mileage questions. So you can just kick back and be like, how's your relationship going? What's going well and what could go better? In the area of exercise, how are you doing? You give them the encouragement, you hold their hand to help them come back. The luxury of the six month program is you're not trying to hope and pray that they come back for another session with you because they're locked in for six months. And so it takes six months to be able to create change in a human being. And you can move through at the pace that is fitting for them. And they come up with the answers because the biocomputer wants to be healthy. The same way as, do you all have plants? And you know how the plant always wants to lean towards the sun? All species want to be healthy, want to be alive. Given half a chance, we will do that by ourselves. So as we provide, let's call it oxygen, to the client to be able to love themselves more than their job, more than their partner, just, just love, just for today, love yourself more than anyone. So you have more energy to love your family, more energy to do your job well, and teach them around primary food. The body will heal itself by itself. If you don't change diet and lifestyle and fix primary food, those like supplements or those shakes, 
I see a lot of graduates promoting multi-level marketing things, which may be a good way to make a lot of money for themselves, but it's not what health coaching is about. What health coaching is about is the opposite of that. that that's nothing to do with me or with what we're teaching here. It's the opposite of that. I understand people want to make money. The key is, it's, it's a very humbling experience where the client is actually mirroring our own health. How many of you have noticed that there's something very deep, um, you could call it something spiritual, but something definitely something esoteric in who we attract and the dance that's occurring between the two to be able to have both the speaker and the listener heal themselves by themselves through this magic that's happening there. So I just wanted to take a minute to clarify my position and where we're at and to distinguish health coaching from being a doctor, from being a nurse, from all these other things that are going on and to know that I respect you tremendously. You are uh, heroic to me to be able to step out from the regular world and do something that you really deeply believe in. You know, as Christopher Columbus said, well, there's a new world out there and I'm going to discover it. The only people that he could get to get on the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria were people who were in jail because everyone else was sure that he was going to fall off the end of the world and the people from the jail had nothing to lose. And I know, as you know, that sometimes we're speaking to people, family members or friends, and we have this idea that, no, there's a new world out there. There's a parallel reality. There's regular reality that you read in the mainstream media. And then there's this other reality, which is that if you and I are eating well, we actually become more spiritual and more alive and more at one with everything. It's kind of like an enlightening experience simply by caring for ourselves all day, every day. And so to be able to speak that and have that be your career takes fortitude. And so I just appreciate you for that. Heal yourself by yourself. The human body is always working to maintain homostasis in its attempt to maintain this equilibrium, a variety of processes must work together as everything is connected. However, if one area is out of balance, the body may overcompensate, causing yet another imbalance and so on. Over time, this can lead to major health concerns. The good news is, you can help support your body in its attempt to maintain balance. Once you're aware of the factors you've exposed to that may affect your health, you can look for ways to support balance and facilitate healing. As Joshua Rosenthal mentions, there are three areas in which imbalances are likely to manifest, genetic predispositions, environmental factors, and lifestyle factors. Use the following exercise to evaluate how an imbalance in each of these areas may affect your health and explore actions for restoring balance. 
genetic predispositions. This refers to health conditions that are common in your family, which put you more at risk for the same conditions. These informations can be used to your advantage. For example, if you know your family has a strong history of lung cancer, you may decide to avoid cigarettes to help reduce your risk. Environmental factors. This refers to what you are exposed to in your environment that may either contribute to health or create a health barrier. For example, living in a healthy polluted city may make you more susceptible to respiratory conditions. Lifestyle factors. This refers to how you live your life. For example, the foods you eat or how you often exercise. Often we know the steps we should take to support our health, whether it's reducing consumption of processed foods or revisiting the gym more frequently. We generally have the answers already. In the space below, consider the genetic, environmental, and lifestyle factors that may have affect your health. List all the apply under personal exposure. Then, consider what you could do to support balance and lessen the effect of your expose or exposure. So, the first thing is there's constitution and your condition. The constitution is made up before birth. It's what you have in your ancestry. It's what's called genetics. Uh, it's basically what's in your father's sperm and your mother's egg. And they come together and they make you. So these are things that happen before birth. <clears throat> and depending on the quality of your mother's egg and your father's sperm is what causes you to have your body that you have, your hair color, your skin color. But also I, I call, besides your physical DNA, you have your mental, emotional, and spiritual DNA. If your father was a lawyer, it's likelihood that you're going to be a lawyer is much higher. If your parents were very spiritual people, chances that you're going to be very spiritual are much higher. Even if you were like shipped off and adopted by someone else. So DNA, I want to expand it from hair and skin and other things to being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, very broad. And all of this must be embedded into the egg and the sperm. And that's what creates you. So this is determined before birth. And then the condition is what's acquired after birth. Your constitution you can't change. You can't travel back in time and wish your father had eaten differently. That they hadn't smoked or they had lived life a different way. What you, how you're born with is how you are. But your condition, whatever issue you have, that is your current condition. And you change that day to day, meal to meal, moment to moment, by where you live, by who you interact with. It's an easy thing to change, relatively speaking. So we're going to talk about elements of constitution. This is fun. I like this. 
parents and grandparents, as I mentioned, also emotional, mental. So your parents' influence is the one that's the most strong. But also going back many generations, influence is still there. And often, emotionally, psychologically, children rebel against their parents. And so there is this rebound effect because your parents probably rebelled against their parents. There's a lot of ways that people relate to their grandparents very well because there's this bounce effect that happened. Your parents rebelled against them, you rebelled against your parents, so you're basically back to square one. Yes, makes sense? Anyone relate to this? We mentioned reproductive cell quality. Mother's egg, basically, it was all there when she was born. But, so that was the way it was. But your father's sperm, or male sperm, is changing all the time. A lot of times in macrobiotics, when people would want to get pregnant, I used to sit in on many consultations that Mishokushi did. And people would come and say, we want to have a child together. And he would like sit back and say, oh, okay, please wait one year. Husband needs to eat much better. People invest so much time and money into their children's lives. You know, someone talked about babysitting, someone talked, you know, people, you send them to schools, you buy clothes, you spend all this. The place where you can really change your child's life is before they're born. Having, having the husband be as healthy, vital, eating well before sperm is donated to create the baby. But also for the mother. And people understood that, you know, the mother watches horror movie during pregnancy. Baby feels all the horror, except the baby doesn't know it's in a movie theater. So whatever is going on during that time is really important in pregnancy to be treated as a sacred time to be able, that is when you can contribute the most to the child and to their future because sitting in the womb they want to be able to feel safe, wholesome, great food coming through, lots of love and support. Okay, next. Date of conception and birth. People are different at different times. If someone was born in the 18th century, there's a different energy. People born in the 19th century, 20th century, people born in the 21st century, they have a different quality to it. That's by century, but also by decade. People born in the 60s, the 70s, and also Asian astrology is based very much on the year of birth. They talk about how, you know when you're in school and everyone, you kind of, You've never had friends like your friends in school? Because everyone being the same age is in the same, uh, from the astrology point of view, is in the same energy. And at first I was kind of cynical about this. But I just, I kept studying it and studying it, and I was like, okay, this makes sense. And so also based on the season, people born in the spring, people born in the summer, uh, Everything, I would say, is non-random. So whether you're born at midnight or at noon, all of it 
can be seen as non-random and meaningful. So based on your birth, if, for example, you're born in the middle of the winter, then you, you, come, you have a different sense to yourself. Partly, if you're born in the winter, it means you were conceived in the spring. So the initial foods your mother ate was more summer foods, which is usually more fruits and more expansive, out there kind of food. And you start from that, and then you go through fall, and there's tightening, tightening, tightening. And mother, generally, traditionally, would come into winter and be eating more meat-type foods. So that's going to create a different baby than if the mother starts off eating winter foods, meat, and then comes into spring, and then you're born in the middle of the summer, and you have this, like, Leo energy, which is, you know, very physical and strong, like a lion, or this Aquarius energy, which is more, you know, in the futuristic and more cerebral. You see that? So when you're born, like, I would just look at all these things and try to understand the person before they came in, before they said a word, try to get a sense of who this person is. And all this leads to being part of your constitution. Also, people born in the middle of the night. People born, like, I was born at sunset. And every day at sunset, I kind of, when I remember, I feel like I'm being reborn again. And it makes sense to me. I chose that time, or life chose that time, and I have a special relationship with that. I think the more an individual knows about who they are, the more an individual knows that their life began before they were born, you know, that you are your father. You are your mother. By definition, you are your father. And you are your mother, because you wouldn't be here without his sperm, her egg. And in that is embedded all this information about who they are. I always told my clients, go back, understand who were your grandparents, where did they live, what food did they eat, because you'll understand yourself, because you are them. And all these people rebelling against their parents, you know, some of that, a lot of that is inside of ourselves. So working with clients, I would take them back into those places so they understood more. Place of birth. People, some people are born in the city, some people are born in the town or in a rural environment. At the beginning when I moved to New York, I noticed that people who were born in the city, especially in New York, were very jittery people. People who are born in a small town, they're everything's doing good. They have issues, but uh, they have a different energy quality. So on the health histories, I always ask, where were you born? I want to understand them better. A lot of city people do really well being in the country more of the time. A lot of country people come to the city. It's a nice place to visit, but harder to stay for the long term. Uh, people born in the mountains, people born in the ocean area. The ocean uh, is more physicality, more, you know, you have the salt water, it's more young, it's more alive. And, you know, being in the mountains, like the holy man in the mountains, is more spiritual, less physical. It's like more yin, or people in the ocean is more... So, if you're looking to... It took me a long time to figure this out. If I'm looking to go on vacation, 
I don't go to the ocean because the ocean makes me more tight. Everyone goes to the ocean, goes to the beach, and it took me, I'm just saying for me, it may be different for everyone else. For me, I like, if I go somewhere for a retreat, I notice that going up into the mountains is just a softer, quieter energy. When I go to the ocean, I feel like this is really exciting, but then I come home and I need a vacation. So understanding where a person is born, where they go for a vacation, how they can refresh themselves is very important. Cold climate, hot climate. Generally people in the northern hemisphere, these are generalizations. Generally people in the northern hemisphere are more in their head. People in the southern hemisphere are more like football and dance, it's all like more energy down here. And so it's just good to notice who you're talking to, what's their energy. People who are born closer to the equator are more balanced. Strong energy lower body, strong energy upper body. Okay. That makes sense? You're getting this whole it's like this invisible world that's kind of obvious and makes sense, but very few people talk about it. Uh, people born in a cold climate, hot climate. Yeah. Factors affecting constitution of child while in the womb. Whole foods diet. How many of you wish your parents ate a whole foods diet? <laughs> there are people here. Who are, where's the pregnant moms? Say hi. Anyone? Yeah, hi. You know, your baby is in this program with you. You know, right here, right now, maybe they start kicking, like, woohoo, they're talking about me. <laughs> so, whenever parents are eating a whole foods diet, then the chances for the child to have an amazing life is so much higher. Most parents are eating whatever the standard American diet is, and that's affecting the child so much. So we'll go through different foods that parents eat. A lot of people today have excess flour products. Bread, cake, cookies, muffins, breakfast cereals, toast, crackers. And although the government doesn't distinguish between very much between whole grains and cracked grains and processed grains, but you can just tell if you're eating a whole grain, you make it fresh and it's whole and it's hot, and it's, it's vibrating, it's alive. Even though for raw foods people, they don't consider it alive, but it's alive because it has this vibration to it. It has heat and energy. It's not at all the same food like buying wasa crackers in a box and thinking, oh, this equals this. One is, one is wet and hot and freshly made, and the other is really dry and cardboardy and will just have a different effect on the person who's eating that food. Okay, next. Root vegetables, hearty, strong personnel. Shirley Thompson, she grew up and that was her basic food, is, was just root vegetables. That's just what they grew in her home. And she's like the most grounded person. She's very vata, very this thin, and I always, I didn't want to, 
work with her too much because I was like, oh my god, Vata person, watch out, I'm Vata enough. <laughs> it's a joke. And, but, whenever I ask her about this, she's always like, you know, that's all we did. We ate parsnips and carrots and turnips and, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They didn't have money. That's what they grew. That's what they ate. It affected her, gives her this rooted, grounded feeling. Okay, then we all, Michio Kushi always said that nuts makes you nuts. You look around at nature and you see, well, what I have in my backyard, I have squirrels. And I watch those guys. They do this. And, you know, you eat the food that they eat. It just, to me, makes sense over years of studying this, that you, you get that kind of energy to you. A good exercise to do after this class is to go back and, if you can, ask your mother. What did you eat while I was in the womb? And not only what did you eat, but what was your life like? How was your relationship with dad? What was going on then? And to understand that you were taking in that energy during the time that uh, you were in the womb. Um, a lot of people today have lots of meat and animal food in their diet, which gives to a stronger, more aggressive, Vegetables, when they grow, their fruits and vegetables, when they grow, are very yielding. If a carrot is growing and there's a rock there, it goes around the rock. And the way that vegetables grow, they kind of, it's very intermingling. You can grow vegetables next to each other. They're not territorial. It's a different energy quality than when you're eating animal foods that are like, oh. And so, it's just information to understand. It affects everyone all the time, but especially during pregnancy. And for you to understand yourself better, you can understand what your mom ate during the time that you were in the womb. Excess sugar makes people a little more skittish. Smoking, like for my dad, smoked. And I'm always dealing with, he had a collapsed lung, and I'm always dealing with being a shallow breather. So understanding that and how it affects the child is important. Next, alcohol. Um, in the work that I did with people who had alcohol addictions, it just, not from my reading, but from my experience, it felt like that they were seeking something different than what they had. A lot of people with alcohol addiction were uh, very young people. Because they were so young, they really needed something yin to give them a sense of balance. And uh, I wish they would have just drank water instead of vodka. Uh, but part of what they're craving is also spirituality, which is very yin. And so if parents drank a lot of alcohol, then of course the tendency of the child is naturally to be drawn to alcohol. Parents smoked, the tendency of the child is to smoke. If parents ate whole foods, tendency of the child is to eat whole foods. Same thing with caffeine. Uh, it just it gives you a buzz. You're constantly on when you're having caffeine. Okay, so the, con so the condition is a lot of times people who have a weak constitution end up living longer than people with a strong constitution. People with a strong constitution are the ones who 
I don't know, they were never sick a day in their life and then they died of a heart attack. Or they got cancer and they were gone within six months. Those are strong constitution people. Weak constitution people are, you know, I'm so fragile, I'm so sensitive, and because of that, if I even smell coffee, I get hyper. Those kind of people tend to protect their health on a day-to-day -day basis. So even though in school maybe they were weaker, more fragile, on the long term they can live longer because they are managing their condition on a day-to-day -day basis. Make sense? That's what we're about. That's managing people's condition, whatever they were born with, to be able to uh, have a long life and a happy, healthy life based on day-to-day -day interventions. Constitution and condition. Similar to the concept of nature versus nurture, constitution and condition describe the idea that some aspects of a person may have been determined at conception, while others are shaped by the person's environment. Constitution is something you're born with where areas your condition is, constantly changing based on variety of environmental factors. Constitution determined before birth, characteristic of parents and grandparents, condition acquired after birth, easy to change, diet and lifestyle created day to day. Constitutional elements, parents and grandparents states, emotional, mental, spiritual, reproductive cell quality, father's sperm, mother's egg. Date of conception and birth, century, decade, and year of birth, season, time of day, place of birth, urban versus rural, mountain versus ocean, cold versus hot climate, northern versus southern, and eastern versus western. Conditional elements, diet and lifestyle, diet and consumption of whole versus processed foods, physical activity, alcohol consumption, caffeine consumption, meditation, mind-body practices, environment, rural versus urban surroundings, climate and weather, noise, pollution and exposure, air quality. Hello there, it's so nice to see you again. Welcome to your student success check-in. So how are you doing at this point? As you probably noticed, we've been focusing more on coaching in addition to primary and secondary food. The bonus business content also opens, so maybe you've been exploring that as well. In short, we've slowly been building piece by piece, step by step, so that you feel confident when you graduate as an integrative nutrition health coach. Here's some highlights of what's coming up. Test three, your third test is coming up soon. And here's some friendly reminders. This test covers the content in modules 21 through 30. You'll get an email on Monday morning, as you do for each module, letting you know that the test is open. You can also find the opening and closing dates in the course schedule on the documents page of the Learning Center. You must complete the test within two hours of starting it, and you have two attempts to pass. And finally, Test Study Guide is released at module 30 on the documents page. 
Also, remember that you have to pass at least two out of four tests with a score of at least 70%. Okay, so what else is coming up? Specialty coaching and teaching classes resources. These resources open in the Business Toolkit soon. The specialty coaching resources open at Module 31, and those include a variety of group coaching and corporate coaching material. The teaching classes resources open at Module 33 and include outlines and handouts. These resources offer many ideas on how to broaden your offerings as a health coach. It's a great time to start thinking about how you might expand what you offer as a coach. There are many possible directions, so get creative and allow yourself some space to explore and brainstorm. So that's what's coming up in the Business Toolkit. Finally, coaching circles. These start in a few weeks, but make sure to sign up for your preferred day and time when you get the reminder email from us. You can also see when your scheduler opens on the course schedule. These are going to be small group calls with up to seven other classmates led by an experienced integrative nutrition health coach. So whether or not you want to be a health coach, these sessions will help guide you through whatever you're working on. Make sure you've done some health histories before the calls start in order to get the most out of them. Also, be sure to change your time zone on the profile page of the Learning Center as it defaults to Eastern Time. Again, lots of exciting things happening. Now, I know you might not be in this program because you want to be a health coach, but still, hopefully you're practicing some coaching skills. You can use these skills, a lot of which are communication skills, in all areas of your life. So, how is the coaching practice going? What feels easy at this point? What feels challenging? Remember that you have to submit at least six health histories to graduate. So use each one as an opportunity to practice providing space for someone, whether it's a classmate, a friend, a family member, or a potential client. That brings me to my tip for this check-in. Always go back to the coaching basics. So I know it can be awkward simply holding space. You know, it can feel strange to just sit in silence and feel like you're not doing very much. But in fact, you are. You know, active listening can be incredibly healing. And allowing silence can lead to deeper insights. So letting your clients lead honors who they are as bio-individuals. Plus, it's not your job to provide answers. It's about empowering clients to be their own experts. You're building a supportive relationship. Remember, you have many tools right there at your fingertips. So for example, we include a variety of coaching handouts in the modules throughout the course, which you might want to download so you know where to find them later on. In short, you have all that you need to provide space. If it feels overwhelming or overly complicated, just take a step back and go back to the basics of coaching. All right, so let's recap here. Test three is coming up in a few weeks. The specialty coaching resources open at module 31. The teaching classes resources open at module 33. Coaching circles are starting pretty soon. And when it comes to your coaching practice, always go back to the basics. So before we wrap up, just take a minute to think about what kind of support you might be needing right now and where you might find it. Go ahead and pause the video and think through it.
Wonderful. So go ahead and take a deep breath. And just know that you have all that you need. And always remember, you can refer to the Help Center or reach out to Student Success by calling or emailing us. You can also refer to the support resources and accountability handouts and the syllabus for more information. Awesome. I wish you luck on test three, and I hope you enjoy your Coaching Circle sessions. Hi, everyone. My name is Bridget, and I'm the Social Media Manager at Integrative Nutrition. I'm so excited to be here with you today to talk about one of my favorite topics, how to create brand awareness. Contrary to what many people think, you don't need tons of marketing experience or a billion dollar budget to build a great brand. All you need is clear goals and a little creativity. Social media is a powerful tool for marketing your business since you can reach so many people in a genuine, authentic way. The first step in creating brand awareness is to establish a simple, consistent message. You should have a core mission that you continuously reinforce through your content. When thinking about your message, be sure to consider a few questions. What makes your brand so unique? Does your business solve a problem for people? Considering these points will help your message stand out in a memorable way. Once you're clear on your message, you can start to think about your online presence. Think of things like social media, search engine optimization, or SEO, and media placement as tools to support your branding and messaging. The most effective branding is always cohesive, so consider using similar colors, photos, fonts, and styles across all of your materials to maintain consistency. Another great way to build awareness is by creating a community around your message. You want to be able to connect people and social media offers a perfect platform for this. Encourage conversation by asking questions on your Facebook page, providing inspiration on Instagram, and having authentic discussions in the comments section of your blog. The more you interact with your followers in a genuine way, the larger your community will grow. Having an engaged community also contributes to your SEO, so that when people search for topics related to your business on Google, your content is more likely to appear. If you haven't done so already, you need to identify your target market. The reason this is important for creating online awareness is because the internet is a massive world and content is easily lost. With a vast number of resources out there, you need to be able to connect with a group of loyal people who will eventually become your clients or customers. It's more effective to have 1,000 engaged fans than 1 million fans that may land on your site but never take action. So now that we've discussed establishing a message and creating a community, which are a few important pillars of branding strategy, I want to go over specific steps you can take to increase your reach, spread your message, and build an awesome brand. Number one, create great content that is consumable, shareable, and valuable. This could be in the form of blog posts, infographics, videos, podcasts, whichever is best for you. If you're not a writer but you love being on camera, maybe videos for you. If you like having conversations with people or doing interviews, you may want to host a podcast. Whatever it is, your content should make your followers want to come back for more. Be sure to write interesting, compelling headlines to increase your SEO. Step two, encourage your fans to share your content. Don't be afraid to tell people what to do. If you want them to forward your email, tell them. 
The best brands out there are transparent ones, and if your fans love and trust you, they will want to share your content with the world. You don't want to be too pushy, but a subtle line at the end of an email or a simple please share on a social post can go a long way. Number three, partner with brands or bloggers. One of the most effective ways to harness the power of the internet is by guest blogging for people that have existing communities. By reaching out to people with large, engaged audiences who are aligned with your target market, you can reach and serve even more people. Be sure to always include a link back to your site when guest posting and include a call to action or a CTA. And finally, once you've developed your strategy and utilized free tools like social media, blogging, and partnerships, you can explore paid media options. Placing ads on social media can be a great way to build your brand in a crowded space as long as you utilize custom targeting options. If you pay for an ad on Facebook, for example, without selecting a target audience, your ad will likely be shown to millions of users who aren't interested in your brand or services. So it's not an effective spend. Your strategy may include retargeting individuals who have shown a preliminary interest in your brand. For example, people who have engaged with a post on your page or have similar interests. Social sites such as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube all have great platforms for delivering targeted ads, and you can learn more in the Help Center for each site. To recap, we discussed how to create brand awareness by establishing a clear message and creating community around that message. In order to spread that message, you want to produce valuable content, encourage your audience to spread the word, partner with brands or bloggers, and then consider paid media options. So that about wraps it up. I hope this was helpful and that you start experimenting with some of these practices. The more effort you put into building your brand and community, the clearer you'll get on what works best for you and what's a waste of time or not enjoyable for you. Remember, always start with your mission and connect everything you do to your core message. I'd love to hear what you think and if you found these tips helpful. You can connect with me on the Integrative Nutrition Facebook page and on Twitter if you have any questions or feedback. And best of luck with building your brand. Bye for now. Building your brand? Fine-tune your brand using the exercises on the following pages. This is only the beginning of your brand evolution. Your business is not static and your vision will change over time. Use what you know in this moment to start your journey. After you thoroughly explore the prompt, review what you've written and see how you can adopt it and into text for your website. Part of creating your brand is translating your story through words, colors, and photos. Think about how you want your prospective clients to feel when they land on your website and create that feeling through your visuals. For instance, if you want to work with pregnant women, you might choose the soft pastels and use words like nurture and glow on your site. If your client or ideal client is an athlete, choose bold colors and words like strong and fast may be more appropriate. Story? What, what's your story? What specific events lead you to become an integrative nutrition health coach? Did you have a big break? Breaking point. Visual. What colors do you associate with your special interests and ideal clients and why? 
what visuals, photos, graphics, etc. represent you as a health coach. What do you want to show your potential clients when they visit your website? Voice, list 20 words that describe you as a person and as a health coach. Nurturing, direct, understanding, patient, empathetic, supportive, motivating, that's the example. Least 20 words that embody the experience you want your client to have when working with you. For example, empowered, enlightened, active, healed, confident, vibrant, aware, open, capable. Testimonial, you can provide you or who can provide you with a client testimonial. Include those who can provide one right now and in the future. If you don't have any clients, testimonials which help professionals can write your testimonials having to do with your personality, personal transformation, and our dedication to health. Call to action. What call to action do you envision using your website? Why will this be most effective for your particular audience? Hi, I'm Michaela, and I'm with the education department here at IIN. You're in the process of getting out there, so you want to think about what picture you would like to represent your professional online presence. Instead of shelling out $200 or even more for a single headshot, thanks to technology, a la front-facing cameras and timers, a professional selfie is something you can absolutely put together by yourself. That said, there are a few important selfie do's and selfie don'ts. You may think you know how to take the ultimate selfie, but instead of showing off your new dress or brunch with the girls, you want this picture to reflect professional you. Capable, flawless. So number one, do dress appropriately. You're going to use this picture on your LinkedIn, on your blog, on your website, the list is endless. In terms of appearance, it's better to err on the side of neutral and professional. Like you're showing up for the second round interview with your dream company. For the ladies, clean, pressed, non-strapless, and conservative on the cleavage exposure. Opt for mother earthy tones, and deep jewel colors work great. Make sure your hair doesn't blend in to make you look like a floating head. Resist neons, patterns, or complicated embroidery. Hair should be simple without accessories. Remember, you wouldn't see the CEO of a company wearing a flower accessory in her hair. For the guys, a good suit is your best friend. Black, gray, dark blue will never fail you, but never dress in a tuxedo for your professional picture. You don't have to be completely clean-shaven if that's not your usual look, but groomed facial hair is a must. Your hair should also be short and styled in a professional manner. Number two, don't use a flash. Although a flash seems standard for a professional picture, an aggressive flash can easily wash out your features and introduce weird lighting tricks and give you that slightly fearful look. Your best bet is natural lighting, so aim to take your picture near an open window or skylight in the early morning or late afternoon to avoid squinting because of the sun. You can play with the lighting after taking the red shot, but aim for something as close to possible to what you actually look like in real life. You do not want new business associates saying, oh, you don't look anything like your photograph. Number three, do use a neutral background. You want the viewer to be drawn to your natural persona and how capable you look not your half-made lunch on the kitchen table behind you. Choose a non-distracting wall without windows or mirrors in a neutral shade like cream or white. 
You should never take your professional selfie in a car, in your bed, and there should never be anyone else in the shot. Number four, don't focus on angles. Yes, this is still a selfie, but it should not be taken from odd angles, even if your left side is your best side. Remember, you're aiming to get something as close to a headshot as possible. It's got to be a no-nonsense picture, and something as minor as your outstretched inner elbow is just distracting. Utilize your camera's self-timer, so you have time to set it up and step back. Use your front-facing camera so you can see yourself, and if possible, angle the camera ever so subtly higher than your face to achieve a slightly from above angle. These are way more flattering than dead-on shots. The shot should capture a bit of the space above your head, down to your upper chest or neck. You do not need to show your full outfit in your professional selfie. Avoid zoomed in or heavily pixelated pictures, so get as close to your ideal shot as possible. Number five, do relax. The ideal professional selfie should have you looking relaxed and happy, like you already run a successful business. If you check out some profiles of your favorite mentors or companies online, you'll see a trend. Shoulders back, a natural smile, sitting up straight. A sense of humor is very important in the workplace, but it does not have to be conveyed in your professional photograph. Relax, look into the camera, take a deep breath before the snap, think of your favorite person, and smile naturally. If you have an iPhone, set it to burst mode so you can pick the best from a bunch. And finally, number six, don't use filters. Your professional selfie should be clean and natural. Instagram's lo-fi filter makes your brunch look amazing, but it makes your professional picture look inauthentic and too touched up. There are some great apps you can use to tweak the contrast, brightness, and focus a little. You're aiming for a crisp, bright, and realistic shot. So that's it. Follow these tips to take your ultimate professional photograph selfie. Thanks so much for watching. See you next time.